Well, we have been in a series called Thankful for this month of November. And our core verse has been, Pastor Chris has already actually read it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Be thankful for in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, Pastor, in this series, he has shared about being thankful for the cross, about being thankful for hope, being thankful for purpose, and being thankful for unity. And this indeed has been an awesome series. I mean, has it not been an awesome series? Now, I would encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages, to go back and listen to them, to watch them on our website or on our Facebook page. Well, I'm so honored to be asked by Pastor to close out this series this morning. And as I prayed about what to speak about, these words kept coming to my mind. And that's this, thankful for the journey. Now, for all of my 80s rock fans out there and that are watching us online this morning, notice I did not say thankful for journey. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love me some journey. All right? Anybody? Anybody relate? Come on, journey. So, in fact, I even envisioned what it would look like if Pastor Clay was playing the opening chords to Don't Stop Believing before I came up on stage. I mean, could you, could you get it with me here? Doom, do, do, do. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, but this is not the journey that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about being thankful for the journey. When my family, when we were driving on a road trip this past June to Colorado, I remember we had just driven out of Fort Worth when my darling, and for those who know my darling precious daughter, she looked at me and asked the question, are we there yet? <laughs> I mean, we had just gotten out of Fort Worth. And knowing that there was still a nine-hour drive ahead, I lovingly told my daughter, no, sweetheart, we are not there yet. We've got a long way to go before we get there. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Now, I told you I lovingly said that to my daughter, so I'm sure you could imagine that's exactly how I said it to her. I'm sure my wife can attest to that. And I'm sure, you know, I wasn't as shocked at my daughter's response when I told her to sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey because this was her response. Ugh, are you serious? We've got a nine-hour trip to go? And I'm like, yes, we do. So enjoy the journey. And then, of course, every 30 minutes later, you would hear, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so I don't know how many times I said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Now, are there any parents out there that can relate to that? Come on. But I think a lot of times we have that same response when it comes to our own life journey that we're on. We want to get to the destination that God has for us, and his response to us is, son or daughter, we've got a little farther to go before we get there. So be patient. Oh, we love that word, don't we? <laughs> Relax and enjoy the journey. Be thankful for this road that I have you on. Now, of course, being thankful is not always the easiest thing to do. 
Because life will indeed present us with different roadblocks and different speed bumps and even some fender benders. But God's word has a great example of a man who understood this concept of being thankful for the journey. Who understood how to look past the roadblocks, how to look past the speed bumps, and how to look past the fender benders. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be reading out of the New Living Translation today, beginning with verse 1. This is what Paul says. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, Timothy, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought, say fought, the good fight. I have finished, say finished, the race. And I have remained faithful, say faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now talk about a man who was thankful for his journey. At the beginning of this passage, we see Paul giving a charge to Timothy to preach the word, to be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. And what Paul was saying to Timothy was that a minister like himself must be prepared in any situation to give a needed and appropriate word, whether for challenge, inspiration, correction, or encouragement. But I believe it was much more than that because Paul was charging Timothy that all followers of Christ should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to give an answer on why you are thankful for your journey. Be prepared to give people an answer on how you have navigated the roadblocks, on how you have navigated the speed bumps, how you have navigated those fender benders. And I believe that the reason why Paul was able to be prepared was he understood the realities of his journey. And the first thing we're going to look at this, this morning is the realities. Now, realities are sometimes very hard to accept, right? We don't want to accept what has been presented to us. We don't want to accept the trial or the circumstance that we are facing in our journey. But when we look at the life of Paul, we can see three different realities that Paul understood. And the first one was this, the journey will not always be easy. In this passage, we find Paul in prison. He's in prison. That ain't easy, right? 
He's in prison writing this letter to Timothy, and he knows that his journey is coming to an end. And I mean, boy, has it been some kind of journey. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about Paul's journey and the many difficulties, the many trials, the many tribulations, the persecution, the suffering that he faced. But this thing we know is that if anyone knew how to count it all joy, it was Paul. He knew that his journey was not easy and he did everything he could to make it worthwhile. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul learned during his journey that knowing Christ was what would sustain him. Everything else, like he said, was worthless. And he knew that knowing Christ would bring along its own obstacles. It would bring along its own difficulties. There would be persecution. There would be suffering. And ultimately, it could lead to his death. It definitely was not an easy journey for Paul. But that didn't matter to him. That didn't matter to him. Because Paul was willing to go through it all because he loved Christ and he wanted to make him known. Now, our journey was never meant to be easy. If you started this journey and was like, man, this thing's going to be easy, you were in for a rude awakening. Because our journey was never meant to be easy. I mean, just look at this wonderful year that we've been in called 2020. I mean, talk about some roadblocks. Talk about some speed bumps. We have encountered a worldwide pandemic, racial injustice, a heated election, and who knows what else with still a month to go. We have been through a lot, right? It has been a crazy year. But here's what I believe, that through it all, God has taught us as a people to love one another better, to care for one another better, and to listen to one another better. And so going back to our passage, it all started because as we listen to one another, guess what? It starts with knowing the truth, That we should be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. That we need to be ready in season and out of season. And Paul was charging Timothy to teach truth. Because the second reality that Paul understood was this, that the journey will encourage truth. The journey will encourage truth. 
Paul said in the last half of verse 2 to patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage or exhort your people with good teaching. Our journey should encourage truth. It should reveal to others our relationship with Christ and how this relationship has changed us. Our journey should reflect what we have learned in God's word. In the verses in 16 through 17, before our passage in chapter 3, illustrate what Paul understood about God's word. He said this, all scripture, we've heard this before, but all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's written word, the word that we read, must be our guide to truth and our uncompromised rule of faith and conduct. For you see, if we understand God's word, then we understand truth, that's Jesus, and know how to help others understand it. Our journey will show the truth of God's word to others. Amen? Not only that, but it will help us to patiently correct and rebuke. Because as Paul said in verse 3, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will believe the lies that they are told. Which is why Paul understood this third reality, and that's this, that the journey will expose lies. The journey will expose lies. Throughout the history of the church, there have always been those who refuse to listen to and support teaching that challenges or contradicts their selfish and ungodly behaviors. Yet as the end draws near, such defiance will grow worse. As verse 3 continues, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Paul charged Timothy to not only know the truth, but also know the lies that would be taught. Because you see, when we understand the truth, we can expose the lies. And there are some in the church who base their beliefs and their behaviors on new revelations, on personal experiences, on miracles, success, human-centered goals or ideas that have no solid Bible-based confirmation. That's a dangerous thing. And that's what's happening in the church today. And so that's why it's so important that we, our journey, expose what is not true. And this happens through what we're taught and the experiences that we live through. You see, we learn the difference between what is right and wrong as we grow up through our parents and our teachers and our pastors and our many, many others that along our journey, we learn from them what is true and what is not true. And as we study and learn God's word, we understand how to help others expose those lies and myths that have been exposed for us. For you see, as we understand these realities that Paul already understood, these three that we've just talked about, then number two, we can live out the requirements that Paul laid out for Timothy in verse five for this journey we are on. 
So let's talk about those requirements for just a moment, the requirements for the journey. Let's take a look at verse five again and see what they are. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. The first requirement that we see here is this, be sober-minded. Paul says that Timothy should be steady in all things to keep a clear mind in every situation. This means that he, has, that, that he is to be sober and self-contained like an athlete who has his passions and his appetites and his nerves well under control. We've seen those athletes before. I mean, there, there are some of those NFL quarterbacks. They look so cool and calm and collected. You're like, how in the world can you be that way right now? They're playing the biggest game of their life. They're playing the Super Bowl, and they're just calm and cool and collected. That's what Paul is meaning here. The term sober-minded literally means free from intoxicating influences. We speak of a person who is not drunk with alcohol or high on drugs as being sober. We've heard this term before. His or her mind is not under the control of a dangerous outside force. More broadly, being sober-minded means that we do not allow ourselves to be captivated by any type of influence that would lead us away from sound judgment. The sober-minded individual is not intoxicated, figuratively speaking, and is therefore calm under pressure, is self-controlled in all areas, and is rational. Now, more often than not, we see the opposite of sober-mindedness displayed in our world. We see silliness, we see irresponsible choices, we see foolish experimentation with harmful substances or behaviors, and we see crude joking that are in direct opposition to the command to be sober-minded. And here's what I know, that eliminating foolishness, frivolity, and mind-numbing silliness from our lives allows us to focus on what is real, what is eternal, and what is inspiring. Being sober-minded, get this, means we do our best to abstain from practices that would lead to sin as much as possible. Because here's what I know. The more we become like Christ on this journey is the more sober-minded we become. The more we become like Christ on this journey is the more sober-minded we become. Because why? We will want to lessen the intoxicating influences that have had that control over us during our journey and let Christ be the one to control our mind, to let him control every part of us, to not let those intoxicating influences have any influence on us whatsoever. For you see, when we let Christ have complete control, then secondly, we won't have to be afraid of the suffering that may come. Because Paul's second requirement to Timothy before the journey was this, to endure suffering. Endure suffering. Like we said before, the journey is not always going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. There's going to be persecution. In fact, in verse 12 in chapter 3, right before, Paul said, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
The word says it. We're going to suffer persecution. We are going to be ridiculed for knowing Jesus. And Paul, he understood what this meant. He was in prison. He was facing persecution of the worst kind. He had been beaten. He knew he was about to die for the cause of Christ. And as he said in verse 6, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Paul was willing to suffer for his spiritual children if it meant that it would deepen their faith in and love for Christ. You see, Paul was willing to give his life for the people he loved. And what Paul was trying to teach Timothy was to endure the suffering. Timothy was to accept whatever suffering comes upon him. And knowing Jesus would cost him something, and he was to pay the price of it without grumbling and without regret. And the good news is that Paul was saying is that, Timothy, you don't have to be afraid of the suffering that you're going to endure on your journey. You don't have to be afraid of the persecution. You don't have to be afraid if they beat you. And that same message that he gave to Timothy is the same message that he gives to us. We don't have to be afraid either. We don't have to be afraid of the suffering because knowing Jesus will cost us something. But we don't have to fear what's to come. We can endure the suffering because his love will sustain us. Romans 8, 28, I love this verse. It bears repeating this morning. And we know, say we know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And because his love sustains us, then we can work at telling the good news to others. Paul's third requirement to Timothy for the journey was this, to share Jesus. Share Jesus. Paul's charge to Timothy was to do the work of an evangelist. You see, we're, we're not all called to be evangelists. But what I can tell you is that we are all called to share the love of Jesus with others. What does the Great Commission say? Go into all the world and preach and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. And what I love is right before that he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And in that same authority, I give you. So go, go share Jesus. He has given us his authority, his power to bring people to his feet. We are all called to share how thankful we are for this journey that we're on. And when it comes to sharing Jesus, we don't just share with our words, but we share with our actions as well. In fact, sometimes we don't even have to say a word and people will know we love Jesus. I remember a time back when I was the bookstore manager for Sagu and, and I was at our manager training in Greenville. And we spent a few uh, days there and I got the opportunity to spend some time with the other managers in training. Now, I never let them know through my words that I was a Christian. But as I was sitting at dinner one night with uh, one of my fellow managers, she came right on out and asked what church I went to. And I asked her how she knew I was a Christian. And she said that she could tell by the way I carried myself. My journey spoke for itself. 
I didn't have to tell her, hey, I'm a Christian, look at me. I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I let my actions speak louder than my words. But we can also share Jesus through our suffering. How we handle the suffering that we have to endure on our journey will reflect our love for Jesus. And if we handle it with the grace and the mercy that Christ has given us, then others will take notice and it could have a powerful and life-changing effect. You see, others may come to know Jesus as a result of the suffering that you've been trying to endure. So my encouragement is this, let's do our best to share the love of Jesus with others, whether it be through our words or through our actions. Let's work at telling others the good news so that we can carry out the fourth requirement that Paul charges Timothy for the journey, and that's this, to serve and love others. Paul charged Timothy to fully carry out the ministry that God had given him. He was to leave no act of service unfulfilled. And the way that we serve, the way we love others is to bear the fruit that Jesus wants to bear through us, which is his fruits of the Spirit. For his fruit is love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, God has called you to bear his fruit. He has called you to fulfill his plan. He has called you to utilize his gifts that he has given you to accomplish his purposes. And as we have read in the passage, in the passage we're reading, Paul did this. He fully carried out the ministry that God had gave him. He served and he loved others until his journey came to an end. And as we see Paul's journey come to a close, he takes the time to share with Timothy some reflections from his journey. So the third thing we're going to look at is the reflections. We find the reflections in verses 6 and 7. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. For Paul, the end is very near, and he knows it. And he takes the time to review his journey for God. And here we find three reflections in which he is thankful. And the first one we see is, I fought. I fought. Paul considers the Christian life as a good fight. It's the only fight worth fighting. I mean, think about all the things and the people that Paul had to fight. He fought against all forms of God-defying behavior. He fought against the religious hypocrisy. He fought against the moral behavior and abuse of spiritual freedom in the church. He fought against false teachers. He fought against distortion of Christ's message. He fought against worldliness and sin of every kind. And he fought against Satan. That is a lot to fight. And the word that Paul uses for fight is the word for a contest in the arena. Because when an athlete can really say that he has done his best, then win or lose, there is a deep satisfaction in his heart. You see, Paul has come to the end of his journey, and he knows, he knows that he has put up what he would call a good show. 
And the author, Barry, when his mother died, made a great claim, said this, I can look back, he said, and I cannot see the smallest thing undone. You see, there is no satisfaction in all the world like knowing that we have done our best. And as followers of Christ, we must serve wholeheartedly and give everything for Jesus just as he did for us. He gave his all for us. So we should in turn give our all to him. The second reflection that we see is this, I finished. I fought, I finished. Paul said, I have finished the race. He was thankful that he had finished the journey, the race he had run. He had run. And perhaps the world's most famous race is the marathon. And the, the battle of marathon was, was one of the decisive battles of the world. And in it, the Greeks met the Persians. And if the Persians had conquered, the glory that was Greece would never have flowered upon the world. And against fearful odds, the Greeks won the victory. And after the battle, a Greek soldier ran all the way, day and night, to Athens with the news. Straight to the magistrates he ran. And he said, rejoice, he gasped. We have conquered. And even as he delivered his message, he fell dead. You see, he had completed his course. He had done his work. And there was no finer way for any man to die. You see, Paul sees himself coming to the end of a marathon, which has taken him on a difficult course of trials and temptations and persecution and suffering. But yet, he is able to share his final reflection that we see, and that's this, I remained faithful. I remained faithful. Paul tells Timothy that he had kept the faith And from an athletic standpoint, he was saying, I have kept the rules. I have not fouled out. And I have not been disqualified from winning. You see, it was the regular Greek for, I have kept the conditions of the contract I've been in. I have been true to my engagement. Paul meant that he had engaged himself to serve Christ and had stood by that engagement and never let his master down. Furthermore, it could mean that I have kept my faith. I have never lost my confidence or my hope. And if Paul were indeed to use it in that way, he meant that through thick and thin, in freedom and in imprisonment, in all his perils by land and sea, and now in the very face of death, he had never lost his trust in Jesus, even while being abandoned by friends and opposed by false teachers. You see, Paul never compromised the original truth of the gospel. He never compromised the message of forgiveness, a personal relationship with God, and eternal life through faith in Christ. So my question to you is this, will you be able to have these same reflections that Paul had at the end of his journey? Will you be able to claim before God, I fought, I finished, I remained faithful? Because if our journey is to amount to anything extraordinary for God, then we must let him spend our lives as he chooses. We must bear his fruit. And this will mean that we often experience rejection by others who want nothing to do with the truth of God. But if we stay strong, if we stay strong, if we endure the suffering, if we endure the persecution, if we endure it all, God will reward us. 
just as he did Paul. And that's exactly what he did. He rewarded Paul at the end of his journey. So the last thing I want to look at real quick here is the rewards. The rewards. Let's take a look at the rewards found in verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize, it's not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The first reward we see real quickly here is confidence and joy. It is if Paul said to Timothy, hey, Timothy, my end is near, and I know that I go to my reward. So if you follow in my steps, you will feel the exact same confidence and the exact same joy when the end comes to you. You see, because Paul remained faithful to his Lord and the message entrusted to him, the Holy Spirit assured him that God's loving approval was awaiting him in heaven. He could have confidence knowing where he was headed when his journey came to an end. And this same confidence and joy of Paul is open to every man and woman who also fights that fight and finishes the race and keeps the faith. But that's not the only reward, folks. That's not the only one. Yes, we get confidence and we get joy, but the second reward is the best of all. We get the crown of righteousness. Paul goes on to say that there is laid up for him the crown. In the Olympic Games, the greatest prize was that laurel wreath that they awarded. And with it, the victor was crowned. And to wear it was the greatest honor which would come to any athlete who participated in the games. But this crown, in a few short days, would wither. It would would die. And Paul knew, he knew that there awaited him a crown which would never fade. For it was in this moment that Paul is turning from the verdict of men to the verdict of God. He knew that in a very short time, he would stand before the Roman judgment seat and that his trial could have only one end. And he knew what Nero's verdict was going to be, but he also knew what God's verdict would be. The man whose life, the man or woman whose life is dedicated to Christ is indifferent to the verdict of men. He cares not if they condemn him so long as he hears his masters, well done. My good and faithful servant, come enter in with me. You see, God has reserved in heaven this same crown for all who remain loyal to Jesus Christ in his message of truth. So if you know the Lord, then he has reserved that same crown for you. How awesome is that? For you see, you see, folks, if we fight the good fight, if we finish the race, and we keep the faith, then these rewards that we have just spoke about are ours, and we can be thankful for the journey. So our takeaway for today is this. Be thankful for the journey, for the best.
the best. Say best. The best is yet to come. Be thankful for the journey, for the best is yet to come. So no matter where you're at on your journey, no matter what persecution you may be facing, no matter what suffering you may be going through right now, you can be thankful that the best is yet to come. Because we know in Romans 8, 28, bears repeating one more time, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them.